0: morning. Thanks, Jamie and crew. Chad is not with us this morning. His uh, uncle passed away, and so he's up in Northern California attending that service. Keep Chad in your prayers. I think they're also celebrating his grandmother's uh, a memorial for his grandmother. Uh, last night we had a, a good time. Many of the couples got together. We had dinner at Spaghetti Factory and... And we went over to my house for dessert. My wife invited one of her friends to come uh, from school. And when they were leaving, people had laughed and as as these friends were leaving, she said to me, she looked at me and she said, you know, I like your people. I said, really? That surprises me. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) So, so just in that little thing, I think, I think the people that in, engaged with uh, Debbie and Phil last night, that was, a, that was, that was God working as, as they were engaged with the, the love of Christ in, in the midst of some really good desserts and stuff. That's what we want to be about. Over the past six weeks, we've been looking at, at engaging our world. During the first five weeks, we looked at, at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who empowers us, gives us the power to engage our world. We looked at what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what the Spirit does in and through our lives to help us engage our world. Then last week, we began to look at the life of John the Baptist. We saw that he and we as believers are chosen by God to engage our world. As Peter put it, it's the key verse, a key passage to remember in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, speaking to the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're God's people. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. your job. Proclaim his F- excellencies it's a it 's a joy to tell the world of the great things God has done in the world and, and in our lives to engage our world with with the Son of god jesus christ so we 've seen that that we, like John before us, are empowered by the spirit we 're chosen by God to engage our world, certainly true of John, remember he was filled with the Spirit in the womb, in his mother's womb. Before he went forth into the world, before he ever engaged a single person, God prepared him, God chose him, God empowered him. Now we're going to move from what God did to prepare John, what God did to prepare John to engage his world, choosing him, empowering him to see, now, what does that result in? What does John actually do? How does John, a chosen, empowered man of God, engage his world? So both this week and next and maybe beyond, we're going to look specifically at John's ministry. Today we'll spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. My my notes here say that Charlie read for you this morning. Charlie is not here. And therefore, I forgot to ask him to read. So would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And uh, I'll read them to you. I'm reading from the ESV translation. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. This is really a summary of of John's early ministry. We see John engaging his world in this passage. I think we see him engaging his world in three, three ways. Three ways I want to point out. And all of which... Focus on this need for repentance. Repentance. That's going to be our, our word for today. Repentance. And first, we see that John preached repentance. He preached repentance. In those days, Matthew 3.1, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John has been chosen and empowered by God. And now he comes to his world preaching a message. Now, it's important for us to understand who John's preaching to. We'll talk more about that in the second point, but let me mention it here. John's preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Who's he preaching to? Verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him. John's preaching to the people from Judea. I mean, from Jerusalem and Judea and the region of the, the Jordan. Jerusalem is the capital, the main city of Israel, Palestine. It's the heart of Judaism. Judea is the province or, or state that, that Jerusalem is, is located in. It's one of the provinces of Israel and, and the Jordan River. It's on the, the boundary there. It's on the outskirts of this province and it's where John is, is baptizing. This is really the center of, of, of Jewish life. So who is John preaching to? He's Preaching to the Jews. He's preaching to people who've been from, from young ages, taught the word of God, taught about God. They, they know of, of Yahweh. People who know the scripture, religious people. And what is he preaching to this group of Jewish religious People who know the word of God in the wilderness of Judea, he's preaching, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John engages his Jewish world with this message of repentance. And John's not the only one to preach repentance. He's the first in the New Testament. We have others, many of the prophets preached repentance. But in the New Testament, John, in the tradition of, those Old Testament prophets, preaches a message of repentance. But that message is carried on. Just in the next chapter, we'll find Jesus. We read in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sound familiar? Jesus preaching the same words, the same message of repentance. Then in the book of Acts, this is You know Jesus' ministry is done. The disciples have been trained up. They've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. They've been sent out. The Book of Acts, chapter three, verse nineteen. Peter says, "Repent, that therefore." Peter is preaching a sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Jesus, Peter preached message of repentance, and in Acts twenty-six, the end, almost the end of that period. 30-year period that takes place in the book of Acts, we find Paul speaking to King Agrippa about the message he preached. He's given a little summary of the message he preached. A message, he says, it will read, he received directly from God in a vision. He says, therefore, this is Acts chapter 26, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disappointed Excuse me, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. Paul's saying, everywhere I went, Damascus. My, you know, if you, if you know of Paul's ministry, he had three missionary journeys. Went everywhere, declared to the Jews, to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Wherever Paul went, Jews, Gentiles, preached the message of repentance. Repentance is a key part of the gospel message. Remember last week we talked about Paul and his his obligation and ambition to preach the gospel wherever he went. Well, he preached the gospel of repentance. Now, before we go any further, we need to understand what we mean by biblical repentance? What does it mean to repent? What does John and Jesus and Peter and Paul mean by repent? Unfortunately, in today's church, we tend to shy away from the idea of ideas of sin, and therefore, the idea of repentance. Repentance brings to mind the, the images of people on the street corners with signs reading "Repent." The end is near. But our cultural aversion to repentance can't stop us from understanding, from preaching, from exploring the, what it means to repent. You know, the original Greek word for repent literally means to, to change your mind. To change your mind. It carries the idea of changing direction and changing purpose. It involves a turning you may be watching the the Winter Olympics. Oh, one or two of you, okay? Not so popular. It's kind of hard. There's so much. It's like, what do you watch? What do you record? What do you skip? But I was I've been amazed by those uh, freestyle skiers and snowboarders. Just watching those skiers the other night, it was amazing. The tricks they were doing, the flips and And spins and turns. I couldn't keep track of how many times they were spinning. And the announcers were telling us, I was going, really? They were saying, oh, there comes a 540 and a 720, a 1040. Now, you guys know what that means? All right, I'm going to give you a little geometry lesson here. A circle is 360 degrees. We got that? So so a 540 is... One and a half circle. So you turn once around and another time. Uh, 720 is too full. I think I heard one guy say a 1440. The guy flipped four times. It's amazing. Now, what's the charge for the d- geometry lesson? It's, good. it's free here. But what does that have to do with repenting? Have you ever heard the saying, he did a 180? He did a 180. I used to, as a as a kid, I used to uh, ride a skateboard. You know, I lived in Long Beach, LA area, and you know, had a skateboard. It wasn't like, you know, the wheels fell off quite often. But but uh, you know, we started doing those three sixties, and but I could I could usually manage the the one eighty turn in a different direction, half a circle. That's a one eighty. A one eighty is a change of direction. It's when you're going one way, and you turn the other direction. Repenting means doing a 180. But it's not just any 180. It's a heartfelt, emotional 180. Paul writes in Second Corinthians 7.10, for godly grief produces repentance and leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. True repentance, true... Turning involves grief and sorrow over your sin. Not sorrow over being caught. Not sadness that someone got hurt, especially yourself. That's worldly grief. That's worldly sorrow. True biblical, godly repentance comes when we grieve over our sin. When we understand that that we've sinned against a holy God. That we've damaged our relationship with our Creator. That God is the most important thing in our lives. He's our, he's our greatest treasure. That our purpose is to glorify Him, but instead we've chosen to disobey and dishonor Him. This should cause us to grieve, should lead us to a lasting repentance. I think Charles Spurgeon captured the meaning of repentance when he said repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. It's turning. A heart of repentance is... A recognition of that turning from sin. It's a change of mind, a change of direction. It's a, it's a 180. This is the message that John engaged his world with. And he didn't candy coat it. He hits it head on. You, he says, must repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Remember the kingdom of Excuse me, he says the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. It's where God is ruling and reigning. John says the kingdom of heaven, the reign, and the rule of God is breaking through in a new and exciting way. What is that way? Put simply, the new way is Jesus Christ. Verse 3 makes it clear, For this is the one who who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... John is fulfilling the prophet of Isaiah in Isaiah 40, 30. Matthew quotes, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John's mission is to prepare the way for the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand because the Lord of the kingdom has arrived. And because the Lord has arrived, a clear division is occurring. The division was there, but now it's becoming clear. A division between those who repent of their sins and trust in the Lord and those who don't. Biblical repentance involves more than just turning from sin. It's a 180. It's a 180. It's turning from your sin, but it involves turning to the Lord. Trusting that Jesus Christ has the power, the ability to deal with your sin, the power, the ability to bring salvation Repentance is that 180 degree turn into the arms of a loving Savior. John is saying, repent. The Messiah has arrived. He's here. Salvation is here. It's a message of great hope. But at the same time, it's a warning. Yes, salvation is here. But it only comes to those who turn from their sin. It only comes to those who turn to The Lord, the kingdom is good news to all who repent, but it's bad news for those who don't repent. It's good news for all who trust in Jesus Christ to be saved from their sins. It's bad news to all who turn away from Jesus, to all who remain in their sin. In verse 12, John says this about Jesus. Verse 12 of Matthew chapter 3. His winnowing fork... Winnowing fork is this, this tool used to separate the wheat from the chaff, as we'll see. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John says that Jesus will divide people into two groups. Those who repent and turn to him, they're likened to wheat. He'll gather them into his barns. But those who don't repent are likened to chaff the part of the wheat that's worthless. He'll be burned in an unquenchable fire, John says. Now before we go on, I need to make two things really clear. Two things about repentance that we can get confused about. First, we've said that repentance is turning from sin and turning to Christ. And this is true. But some people have taken that to mean that they have to clean up their act before they come to Christ. But that is untrue. In fact, it's impossible. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. We don't have the inclination to rid our lives of sin. Repentance is that initial turning from sin and turning to God. And even that is a gift of God. In Acts chapter Eleven eighteen, 18. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18. After Peter reports God's work among the Gentiles, we read this. The response of those he's reporting to. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God gives repentance. God grants repentance. God, the Holy Spirit, remember, is the one who convicts of sin. With no Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin, there would be no repentance. Biblical repentance always means both a turning away from sin and a turning to God. And God is involved. He's granting that repentance. That's the way it works. Because it's only when we turn to God And He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which which continues to convict our hearts. We all experience that. The Holy Spirit which sanctifies us, which transforms us, changes us into the people who, like Spurgeon said, love what we once hated, God, and righteousness. And hate what we once loved, sin. Sin. Repentance doesn't mean we must be sinless before we come to Christ. Repentance means we turn to Christ. We turn from sin and come to Christ. Knowing that only He has the power to overcome, to transform us, to change our lives, to deal with the sin. So first, repentance does not mean we have to rid ourselves of sin before we come to Christ. Hallelujah. And second we need to be clear that it's not our repentance that saves us. It's not our repentance that saves us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and it's a gift from God, not of yourselves, not of works, so that no one can boast. If our repentance is what saved us, then we would have reason to boast. Oh, I got rid of my sin, and then God could accept me. Yea, for me. Our repentance does not save us. But John and Jesus and others preach that we must repent to be saved. So, so, what's up with that? What's up with that is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're saying he's in charge. We're saying that he's the Lord, the leader of our lives. And when Jesus is our Lord, we have to follow him. And Jesus is going in one direction. And that direction is away from sin. If we're going to trust in Christ, if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to put our faith in Christ, then by definition, we'll turn from sin. That's repentance. And it doesn't save us, but it's a required effect. It's even a natural outflow of saving faith. Turning and trusting to Christ, by definition, will lead to turning from sin. Because Christ is 180 degrees from sin. So I hope it's clear. Repentance is required for salvation, but repentance does not save. It's that required effect. It's the natural outflow. So You see John coming onto the scene, and he's preaching repentance, and he's preaching to these Jewish people. He's saying that being religious, being born a Jew will not save you. To be saved, you must be saved from your sin, it must be dealt with. And it can only be dealt with through repentance, doing a 180, turning from sin and turning to the Lord who saves. This is what John is preaching, and this is further seen in what John does. He's known as John the Baptist for a reason. John baptized the repentant. It's our second point. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. In Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Again, John is in the wilderness of Judea, and he's baptizing in the Jordan River. Who is he baptizing? He's baptizing Jewish people who confess their sins. Those he baptizes are the ones who respond to his message of repentance. There are people who are willing to turn from their sins... And turn to the kingdom of heaven. Turn to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The rule and reign of Christ. Because Messiah has come. And they are going to put their trust for forgiveness of sins in him. In fact, when Mark writes about John's baptism, he says this. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was, was for those who are willing to turn from their sin and turn to the source of forgiveness, Jesus Christ. But why did John baptize people? Why baptism? Why, okay, baptism, putting people under the, the water, immersing. That's what baptism means to, to immerse. I mean, why dunk people into water when they repent from their sins? What's the purpose? Now, baptism is common for us, right? Most of us have probably been baptized. But we need to understand that baptism of Jews was not a common practice. This was not normal. In fact, the only people who, who would have been baptized before John the Baptist arrives on the scene are Gentiles who decide to place their faith in Yahweh, in the God of Israel, in the God of the Jews. Baptism was for non-Jews. Baptism was for dirty Gentiles who wanted to become followers of the one true God who who saw the God of Israel as the God that they wanted to follow. And so when a Gentile decided to follow God, they would be baptized. They would be cleansed as a picture of them renouncing their old life, being clean and entering into faith in, in Yahweh. So it's surprising to see people from Jerusalem and the region of Judea, Jewish people, who are coming to be baptized. Because what they are doing, what they're saying, what they're acknowledging is, I'm like a dirty Gentile. I'm unclean. I need to confess my sin. I need to repent and and place my faith in Yahweh. Basically, they're saying, my Jewishness doesn't guarantee me anything before God. I need to personally repent and trust, turn to the Lord. In baptism, they are acknowledging and turning from their sin. They were acknowledging their need for a Savior and turning to the Messiah. So John was engaging his world with a message of repentance and salvation. Repentance from sin and salvation in the Lord. And to outwardly symbolize that, to outwardly symbolize what had taken place in the heart of those who received his message, John would baptize them, cleanse them. But when John encountered those who weren't repentant, his response was very different. That's our third point. John confronts the unrepentant. Matthew 3, 7 through 10 again. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming Great ministry skills why, why so harsh who were these Pharisees and Sadducees anyway what was John's problem with them well as most of us know especially from the study of Jesus' life and his his encounters with these same guys these guys were the main religious leaders of the day two different Jewish religious sects and these sects didn't agree on a whole lot the Pharisees were more of the conservatives, the, the Sadducees more of the, the liberals of the day. But one thing they did agree on was that, that who they were, Jews, and what they did, keeping the law, could earn them favor, could earn them righteousness before God. So they come out to John's baptism. It's Not clear if they actually wanted to be baptized. I would say probably not. They were just checking it out. And even if they did want to be baptized, some translations say they came out to be baptized. It wasn't because they had repented, but for some selfish reason. Maybe they were trying to cash in on John's popularity. John was becoming quite the popular guy in his day. Even though he called people snakes. But anyway, John looks at them and says, you brood of vipers. Literally, what that means is, you are the offspring of snakes. Your mom and dad are snakes. That's good stuff. Not, not complimenting them. John apparently hadn't read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was not on his shelf. John doesn't pull punches like Jesus would shortly do. He confronts. Remember, Jesus calls these guys whitewashed tombs. He confronts, John confronts these religious hypocrites. What he's saying is, your way of living, your way of teaching is breeding condemnation for all kinds of people, for those that are following after. You are religious leaders and you're causing people to think there's, there's something they can do or something they, can, they have in themselves to merit God's righteousness that's why in verse 9 he says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Abraham, the, the father of the, the Jewish people. In other words, don't presume to say, we're descendants of Israel. We're God's chosen people. John says, whoop-de-doo. He didn't, I think he might have said that, but big deal. God can make children of Israel out of rocks. That is not important. He says the axe, I mean, there's a picture. John is using a, a picture here. Picture an axe, a guy at, with the axe ready to chop a tree down. That's what he's saying. The axe is at the root of the tree. There's no fruit in keeping with repentance in your life, and you will be cut down. You think you're standing before God is, is based on who you are, your family heritage. You think your Jewishness, being a a descendant of Abraham, is what makes you right before God. But that can't save you. You have not turned from your sin. You've not turned to the Lord. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your sinful self. You have not repented. John engaged his world by preaching repentance. Turn from sin and turn to the Lord. And then he engaged his world by baptizing those who truly repented and confronting those who didn't. That's John. That's what he did. That was his, his ministry. So what, what can we learn from John? What can we learn from John today as we seek to engage our world? What's the application for us? I'd like to point out, out too. First, I think this needs to be said. I think it's the obvious application for those who've never put their trust in the Lord. Maybe you're like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Maybe you believe that because of who you are, because you're an American, because of you were born into a Christian family, that earns you God's favor. You can earn your righteousness. Maybe you're relying on on this family and, your religious practices for your salvation. Or maybe you never understood what it means to truly put your trust into Jesus Christ. And today, as the Word went forth, as we read in Matthew, as we saw John preach and Jesus repeat the same words, and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul talk about this idea of repentance, the application becomes clear. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus has come. He's died in your place. And your response must be one of repentance, confessing and turning from your sin, grieving over your sin, understanding that your sin is is, is a terrible thing. And it's only through the death of Jesus Christ that you will not suffer, trusting in that death, that you will not suffer the penalty you deserve. You have to turn from your sin, turn to the Lord, trusting in Him alone for your salvation, renouncing as sin all of your efforts, all of your efforts to earn your way to heaven. Paul calls them in Philippians chapter 3, rubbish. Everything he did before was rubbish compared to Christ. Application, repent and be saved. Repent and be saved. That's the first application and if there's, this is something that you'd like to do this morning, you've come to understand what it means to truly repent and be saved, I'd, I'd encourage you to talk with someone about that. Engage someone with that. If you need help with that or a better understanding of that, talk to me or one of our leaders here at the church. We want to help you repent and be saved. Now, the second application is for those who have repented, those who have turned from sin and given their lives to Jesus Christ, those who God has chosen and empowered to engage their world. That's what this series is about. So today we want to learn what, what did we learn about engaging our world from John the Baptist. We could say we learned that, that we need to preach in the wilderness near a river, So we could baptize people really quickly. And we need to wear camel hair garments. Eat bugs and honey. And if you encounter unrepentant religious leaders you need to call them out. Tell them their mom and dad are snakes. Maybe the application then is for us to, to gather a group of people put some camel suits on them and send them out to the Colorado River. Find some bugs and some Unrepentant religious leaders. Any volunteers for that mission? That's one approach. It's one thing we could do. No volunteers, okay. Maybe there's a a different application, something that fits into our world. Maybe we need to think about John's message and bring that into our world. John engaged his world with a message of repentance and salvation. And this is where I believe our our application lies. We, as representatives of Jesus Christ in this world, we're his ambassadors. We've been empowered. We've been chosen. We saw that. We've seen that the last six weeks. Been empowered and chosen to engage our world. We need to preach repentance. That's our application. Preach repentance. And by repentance, I don't mean just in a sermon. I mean by preaching, I don't mean just in a sermon. I mean with with those that you share the gospel with on a personal basis. With those you tell about Christ, when you tell about what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we need to go into the wilderness and put on a camel suit or get a sign and stand on a street corner. What it does mean is that when you present the gospel... When you tell people about Jesus Christ, you need to include repentance in the message. We like to emphasize the love of God. We like to emphasize that Christ died for you. He loved you so much. For God so love the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We talk about God's mercy and grace. We talk about forgiveness and eternal life, the rewards of coming to Jesus And all that is true and important and key and needs to be shared, needs to be preached. But so often we leave out this crucial element of repentance. This, I believe, is why so many people quote-unquote become Christians but never, ever overcome their sin. We do a terrible disservice when we leave repentance out of the gospel message. I remember when I was in high school, I invited one of my friends to to go to church with me. My hope was that that he would hear the gospel and, and become a Christian. So on Sunday evening, sometime in 1980, I took my friend, he took his girlfriend, and we went to church. I don't remember the message, but I do remember when the altar call came, when it came time for people to come forward, that they both, they both went forward. They both prayed the prayer. They both asked Jesus to come into their hearts. And on the way home that evening, we talked about what they'd done. I didn't mention it, but somehow they knew that, that Christians didn't believe in premarital sex. And I remember my friend looking at his girlfriend and saying these words oh, I guess that's one we'll have to ignore. That moment, I, I, even then, wasn't that sharp, but I did know that they didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't understand what it meant to be a follower of Christ. They were excited about this loving God and this grace and this mercy and this forgiveness. They were excited about fire insurance. If they were to die, they would go to heaven. But they didn't understand that being a Christian means giving your life to Jesus Christ, to turning away from your old life, your sin, and turning to God. And you know what? I didn't tell them. I was afraid. I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want to give them more than they could handle. And needless to say, it wasn't long before they had lost any interest in doing anything, anything to do with God. My point is this. A person cannot enter into true relationship with God and, and, and think they can hold on to their sin. To think that sin doesn't matter, that God doesn't care. Oh, that one doesn't matter. God won't care about that one. I can keep, I'll get rid of this one, but I, I'll hold on to that one. It just doesn't work that way. Coming to Christ is a turning away from your old life and turning to... Christ, the sinless one. So as we engage our world, we have to include this truth. We need wisdom to do it. We need understanding. We need the right moment. We need prayer. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to include the need for repentance. Remembering repentance doesn't save. Jesus does. But repentance is that required effect, that natural outflow of faith, of turning to the Lord. So when we engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you engage the world with your testimony, when you engage the world with John 3.16, when you engage the world with the Roman road, the four spiritual laws, however you share your faith, don't give a partial weak gospel. Be willing to talk about sin. Be willing to talk about the terrible effects that it has in lives. Be willing to engage people with their sin and their need to repent. This isn't easy, but it's crucial if people are truly going to turn to Christ. Let me close with these words from John MacArthur. After noting that John the Baptist and Jesus and the disciples, the Apostle Paul and others preached repentance, MacArthur writes, I'm deeply concerned as I watch what is happening in the church today. Biblical Christianity has lost its voice. The church is preaching a gospel designed to soothe rather than confront sinful individuals. Churches have turned to amusement and show business to try to win the world. Those methods may seem to draw crowds for a season, but they're not God's methods, and therefore they are destined to fail. In the meantime, the church is being infiltrated and corrupted by professing believers who have never repented, never turned from sin, and therefore never really embraced Christ as Lord or Savior. We must return to the message God called us to preach. We need to confront sin and call people to repentance, to, to a radical break with the love of sin and a seeking of the Lord's mercy. We must hold up Christ as savior and lord, the one who frees his people from the penalty and the power of sin. This is after all the gospel he's called us to proclaim. And I would add to MacArthur's word that this is the gospel that we are chosen and empowered and, and called to engage our world with a gospel of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, but of turning, turning from your old self and giving yourself to Jesus Christ, of repenting of your sin. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, Lord, I pray for us. I pray for those who have yet to repent, who are never truly turned from their old life or trying to live on a fence or something, trying to come to church, but truly have never turned and followed you, turned that 180, that, that direction completely away from their old life and turned to you, the sinless one, repented of their sin. I pray that they wouldn't leave this place without coming to you in true repentance, giving your life, giving their life to you. Lord, and I pray for us as a church, I pray that we would be a church that preached repentance, not, not just from the pulpit, but in our individual lives as we encounter people, as we share the love of Christ, we would also share His hatred of sin. People would know who you truly are. You're a God of love and of grace and of mercy, but you're also a God that, that hates sin. You're a holy God. People are going to come to you. They have to turn from their sin and follow hard after you. Pray we'd be able to do that as your representatives in this world, in Christ's name.